Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From savannahnow.com, this is the Commute Podcast. On this episode, Savannah native Kieran Ahuja leads the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, basically the federal government's HR department. She joins Savannah Morning News reporter Nancy Guan to discuss her first year on the job, being the first Indian American to hold such a lofty post, and implementation of the $15 minimum wage for federal employees. Today is Tuesday, February the 22nd, and this is the Commute Podcast presented by National Office Systems. I'm Adam Van Bremmer, opinion editor at the Savannah Morning News and the host of this twice-weekly podcast focused on news and happenings in and around Savannah. I'll be handing over the interviewing duties today to my colleague, journalist Nancy Guan, who is joined by Kieran Ahuja, the director of the U.S. Office of Personnel Management. All that comes your way after an ad read for the Canute's presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. I'm working at home today, and that means I'm missing out on the comfort allotted by our office's outfitter, National Office Systems. Owner Scott Center and his team are Savannah's experts in office design and outfitting. They work with top quality suppliers such as Dirt Modular Interiors and Herman Miller Office Furniture to create comfortable and productive workspaces. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's Nancy Guan and Kieran Ahuja. So today we're talking with Kieran Ahuja. She's the director of the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, or OPM for short. Um, So she was named to the post last March, so it's been almost a year. And that made her the first Indian American head of the OPM, actually. So welcome, Kieran. (laughs) Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, um, so we'll just start with a simple question first. Um, Just tell us a little bit about what the Office of Personal Management does and what you do in your role as its director. Sure. Uh, Well, it's good to be here. Nancy, nice to meet you. I I will say I was nominated in the late late winter and late Feb, um, but came on in June, um, confirmed in my position in late June. And uh, just so folks have a sense of that timeline and uh, so it's been great uh, so far uh, in this role and in, in OPM or the Office of Personnel Management plays such an important role in the federal government, especially since the federal government is the largest employer in this country, more than 2 million as a part of the civilian workforce. Um, and an easy way to think about the work we do is we are the HR function in any organization. So if you imagine that for the size of, of the organization as the federal government and a lot of the, the rules and regulations that apply, um, we set policies for agencies. We, we support them and a lot of the work they do to try to bring on the best and brightest uh, that we can across the country. We're certainly doing a lot to double down on our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion um, to ensure that uh, you know we get a, a, a workforce that really draws from the, 
the tremendous diversity that we have across the country. So that's probably the easiest way for folks, to, Nancy, to understand what we do is, is, is really we're the people behind the people and ensuring we've got um, a really engaged workforce. Okay, great. Thank you so much for breaking that down. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about your background. You're a Savannah native. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey going from Savannah all the way to the nation's capital. Sure. Well, I've uh, spent most of my childhood in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, a lot of fond memories of of growing up and going to the various public schools, uh, Largo Tibet Elementary School, uh, Duran Middle School, Windsor Forest High School. These were uh, places, lots of memories. And, and I think, you know, Nancy, back then I was... Uh, so engaged just in community service and in public service. I think I got the bug from all the different like volunteer opportunities I was exposed to in Savannah that really shaped the importance of, of how we should be like giving back to our community. And, and I really took that to heart uh, with the work that I did later on in my life. I'll mention that I spent time in Savannah, but also uh, spent some of my early years in Thomasville, Georgia. I don't know if you've had a chance to check out other parts of Georgia, but um, and also in Atlanta, where I went to college and law school in Athens. So I feel like I've been in different parts of Georgia, uh, but definitely Savannah, where I still have a lot of my friends. My mom, uh, you know, unfortunately, who's passed away, used to be a line dance teacher at the senior centers um, in the different senior centers in Savannah. Uh, and so, yeah, we have, you know, really tremendous roots in the city. And I would say that you know, that experience, I always think our formative experiences in childhood, how they shape us, um, especially being a young, young Indian immigrant uh, in Georgia and uh, sort of part of the new uh, wave of immigration into Georgia really shaped my appreciation for how important it is to really build bridges across different communities, how to give back to your community. So I knew early on that I wanted to be a lawyer or get into policy work and to uh, and to work for uh, for the federal government, uh, I was always kind of interested in civic issues. So uh, my first job out of law school was going to the Department of Justice. Uh, I did quite a bit of work in the Asian American community uh, um, in different roles inside and outside of government, and then had the opportunity um, before this role to actually be in the Office of Personal Management. Uh, so this is my set, second stint around, and I think it's just an incredible opportunity, especially in the moment that we're living in, uh, with such shifts that we're seeing in the workforce, how we're managing a pandemic, how we're thinking about workers, uh, how we're thinking about our own individual lives, where we want to do our work. And um, so it's been a, a really incredible uh, experience, and, and I still come back to Georgia quite a bit, because um, that will always be my roots. So, I mean, it's been not even a year since you've been in this position, mm -hmm. but what are some of the highlights and challenges um, since you've been at the OPM? Yes, definitely. Well, <clears throat> let me start by saying it's never a dull moment <laughs> um, in these jobs. And um, maybe I'll, I'll just share three kind of top uh, issues or challenges uh, that uh, that we've been we've been seeking to tackle. First, I would say, which I mentioned just a minute ago, is how do we work in this new environment? And I think for the federal government, that's been a real question. And the Office of Personal Management has been uh, really leading those discussions with our partners across the federal government. Uh, 
What does it mean to be in a hybrid workforce? What does it mean that you can actually do a lot of this work from your home? We actually have more than 50% of our workforce that shows up every day also. Uh, they are the folks who are you know, working in field offices, our TSA and our airports. Uh, um, so we know that we have such a variety of workers um, and the different type of duties they have within government. So I think there's been a huge shift. I think for those who've been able to work from home, we've realized that we can also just be more competitive as an employer. Um, already 80% of federal jobs are outside of Washington, DC. They're in every single county in this country. And I think we'll start to see more and more of those jobs promoted as, uh, as remote work. Um, I would say the second challenge, really opportunity that we've seen is um, how do we bring in the best and brightest talent into the federal government? How do we have that talent draw from the incredible diversity in this country? Uh, and the way we define diversity, Nancy, is, is very broad. I mean, it is definitely race, ethnicity, but it's also different parts of the country, small towns, big towns. It's those with disabilities. It's uh, our veterans. Uh, you know, how do we really reflect that kind of diversity uh, that we see out in our country? And that's the work that OPM is leading on within the federal government um, in lots of different ways. Um, we're working as a part of that effort to bring in early career talent. I talked about kind of the bug I got, you know, in public service. I think for the federal government, we win on mission. Like it is incredible work that you can do under this one employer where you can have uh, folks working on issues of climate change, you know, definitely issues around the pandemic, landing rovers on Mars. I mean, there's just like, like the range is incredible and we want to really bring in talent from, from all over, but especially early career talent uh, um, and that they can come into government, they can leave, they can come back. Um, so that's one thing we've been spending a lot of time knowing that uh, we uh, want to continue to, to attract uh, um, again, the best and brightest. And then finally, uh, you know, we've also just been doing some, having taken some targeted approaches to how we think about attracting talent um, in the federal government. And one is, one effort I want to mention in particular that I think, you know, would be of interest to folks in Savannah, just because I live not that far from Hunter Army Airfield and, and know that you know, we have um, the military close by and we have lots of different industries, but recently we issued a, a what we call regulation or, or a path, a hiring path exclusively for military spouses, um, which we know if you're part of the military and a family and you're often, often having to move, that it's hard as a spouse to, to maintain a job, a career, really, and to have a good paying job. And so now we've, you know, enabled agencies to hire military spouses um, in a much easier fashion. And uh, and we've been really trying to get the word out uh, to folks and, and, and just encourage people to look at usajobs.gov as a place to find all those, all those federal opportunities. Wow, that is a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> And so much has happened, obviously, in the couple months you've been there. Um, but I did want to touch upon one of the more recent announcements that mm -hmm. the OPM made. Um, last month, the federal government announced that the minimum wage for U.S. federal employees would be raised to $15 an hour. 
Um, and this had come out of an executive order that President Biden signed in his first week in office. Um, and part of that order directed you to submit a report with recommendations to promote that $15 minimum mm-hmm. wage. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit more about what was in that report and, you know, what went into this um, decision that was finally made? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the president has, you know, really early on made a commitment about uh, the importance of, of paying a living wage, the dignity of work. Uh, And he tasked the Office of Personal Management, my team, to take a look to see where across government did we have jobs that were paying below $15 an hour. Uh, We were able to discern uh, with the work of other agencies that there was about 70,000 individuals, uh, mostly in um, service industries within the government, uh, custodial workers, uh, um, you know, individuals working in the commissary and the Department of Defense facilities, uh, even wildland firefighters. Uh, so there was there was definitely a range. And and we, you know, we absolutely think it's important that um, as a part of our mission, that every federal job is a good paying job, um, that we raise those wages. And that's what we did. A part of the report was basically laying out uh, what we found, uh, what would be our regulatory path to, to, to do that through our guidance. Um, and the um, regulatory powers um, that we have, uh, and then also ensuring that uh, that we could move that forward by mandating that of the agencies. I also think it's an important message. Listen, you know, we feel that we have to be the model employer, being the largest employer. We think it's important, uh, you know, particularly uh, uh, in this day and age, as we think about the kind of sacrifices that people have made during the pandemic and have showed up for work every single day, uh, that they deserve a living wage. I mean, what we do hope is this, um, as the president has signaled, that this is a strong message uh, to our leaders on the Hill um, to raise the minimum wage um, across the country. And so um, again, we we are committed to that. And, um, and I'm very um, excited and proud that our agency played a role in that. Right. Yeah. Um, So just to give everyone a picture, I mean, earlier you said that about um, Mm 70,000 federal employees out of 2.2 million would be affected by this. Um, And in Georgia specifically, there's about, I think, uh, 3,200 employees who would be impacted. Um, And Savannah, and it has a significant veteran population and it's also home to the Hunter Army Airfield. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Fort Stewart is also nearby. Can you just uh, talk a little bit uh, more about how might Georgians and Savannians take advantage of careers in the federal government? Sure. And you're right. I mean, you know, uh, with this particular minimum wage hike in the federal government, um, it does have an impact in Georgia with uh, uh uh, through the, the Department of Defense and, and, and Department of Veterans Affairs is probably kind of the larger facilities. Uh, I will mention also that uh, there are, I guess, over 80,000 federal employees in Georgia right now. Um, and when we looked as of late, um, I mentioned usajobs.gov, which is the place to go to find federal opportunities. Um, there were right now, I think, about uh, more than 1,000, I think 1,700 um, positions uh, available in Georgia. Uh, and so I think at any given time, you know, there's quite a bit of those opportunities available. Um, I will say that, 
you know, again, you know, Nancy, we've been talking a little bit about like this day and age of, of where you can, you know, where you can work and you don't necessarily have to be in the same location as that office. And so we're really seeing more of that. So, so the opportunities there are both uh, agencies that are physically present in Georgia, as well as those that are looking for remote workers. And so there's a real opportunity if you go onto our website where you can find all different kinds of positions. And in particular, we're doing a big push around um, our effort to fill jobs that are specific to the bipartisan infrastructure law that was recently passed in um, late last year. Uh, you had one of my colleagues, Secretary of Transportation out there at the Savannah Port talking about um, not only uh, what this will do as far as rebuilding roads and bridges and um, giving more capacity to ports and airports, but it's about uh, expanding broadband across the country, uh, ensuring we have clean water in every single household. And so a part of that is not only the jobs that we'll create as a, you know, that localities and states will create, but the federal government has to hire people in order to implement these programs. Um, so we need scientists, we need engineers, uh, we even need like contract specialists and HR specialists and and uh, grant specialists. And so there's real opportunities to give back and to really engage in this important work, mission-oriented work. Uh, and those jobs don't always require you to be where that office is located. So I just really encourage all Georgians and Savannians, my friends and former colleagues down there, uh, to take a look at usajobs.gov and, and check out those opportunities um, and, and, and see you know, if anything does appeal to them, I really am sure that they'll find something that really speaks to them. All right, thank you so much, Karen. Mm -hmm. um, it was so good speaking to you. Thanks one more time to Nancy and to Karen. Good stuff. Other news of note in Savannah today. The federal hate crimes trial against the three men convicted of murdering Ahmad Arbery is over. A jury determined that race did indeed play a role in the trio of white men, Travis and Gregory McMichael and Roddy Bryan, stalking and slaying Arbery, a black man, while he jogged through a Glen County neighborhood in February 2020. The jury deliberated for four hours before returning the verdict. Elsewhere, the Savannah City Council is poised to vote Thursday on proposed changes to the St. Patrick's Day Festival. The focus is on the post-parade party and would limit on-street vendors, prohibit live entertainment in public spaces, ban motor coaches carrying out-of-town revelers from downtown, and extend the Go Cup zone to include areas south of Forsyth Park to Victory Drive. St. Patrick's Day is March the 17th. And finally, in sports, former Georgia Southern football coach Chad Lunsford has found a new job with Florida Atlantic University. Lunsford will be FAU's special teams coordinator and tight ends coach. A lot of Georgia Southern fans will remember that Lunsford was fired midseason last fall after a poor start in an ugly incident involving a beer-guzzling player riding through the Paulson Stadium parking lot atop a team bus. Read those stories and more at savannahnow.com, the online home of the Savannah Morning News. Today is the best day of the year to become a digital subscriber with a one-day super sale, a two-year subscription for just $22. That deal is only good for today, February the 22nd. So if you're hearing this tomorrow, still a pretty good deal, but not quite that kind of deal. So... Uh, if you're hearing this on Tuesday, make sure you go to savannahnow.com slash subscribe now and take advantage. One more time, that's savannahnow.com slash subscribe now. That's all for the Tuesday Commute Podcast. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, National Office Systems. 
For more interviews with local newsmakers, check out The Commute Archives by searching The Commute with that Savannah opinion. The Commute returns on Thursday. Thank you for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.